Good morning and welcome. We are so grateful that you're here. This is our Stay by the Tree, Messages of Hope. And today we're here with the Ashens. It's their second presentation in a series of two. And they have so much information. We wish we could have a series of six or something like that, but we're so <laughs> grateful for them and so grateful for you. I just want you to know I'm Karen Broadhead, the director of Mothers You Know, and have been supporting parents for over a decade. And this is a powerful, wonderful place to share and care in a safe way that is so empowering for women. So I'm going to turn the time over to my assistant BJ for some quick information, and then we'll get on with our, with the Ashtons and their presentation. Thank you again for being here. Hmm, thank you so much, Karen. Like Karen mentioned, this is the um, Stay by the Tree Messages of Hope live webinar series, and it is so fun to see your squares and your faces pop up and just know that we're, we're all in this together and it's, it was such a pleasure to have the Ashtons here last week and you do have access to those recordings of the webinar from last week. Last week, they talked about holding on to hope during disappointment and tragedy and loss, and we learned so much. I just really enjoyed listening to that again. You can always go to the the mothers who know we, there's a podcast station or a podcast that you can just listen to. We have that available. So the, this webinar series is sponsored by life-changing services and mothers who know and mom power training life-changing services is a team of Latter-day Saint therapists and professionals that provide gospel centered training and healing. They are some incredible people, and you can go to lifechangingservices.org to find out a little bit more about the programs that are offered there. One of the programs that's offered is Mothers Who Know, and Mothers Who Know is just an online faith-filled gathering place. As we're moms and women, and we're trying to support our loved ones with some of these common challenges of our time, we're navigating them. It's such a powerful place to find connection, support, training, and hope. There's lots of different webinar series and podcasts and groups and trainings that are available there. One of the, the free trainings that's available through Mothers Who Know is called Mom Power Training. And Mom Power Training is one that we always like to highlight because it's one that just hundreds of moms across the country have taken advantage of. Life-changing services and Mothers Who Know have so generously just wanted to not have any barriers for moms to have access to this. So it really is free and it's just an eight-part self-guided online training with weekly live mini classes. And the next one will be starting here on September 28th. Even though you can listen when it's convenient for you, those live classes will start that day. And they are all, Karen Broadhead teaches all of those. She is the one that started us today. She has been, like she mentioned, the parent support specialist for life-changing services for over a decade and is the founder and director of Mothers Who Know. We love her. We love her courage and we love how much she loves the Savior and supporting and helping women. The, the name of this series is something we like to mention. As, as mothers, we understand the worry and fear that we feel as we're all thinking, how can we make sure that our loved ones find the Savior? And so the name of this series, Stay by the Tree, comes from a scriptural account in the Book of Mormon of a beloved parent and prophet Lehi, and it's commonly called the Tree of Life Vision, and it just so beautifully depicts the best place for us to stand while we're beckoning to loved ones on their journey is right next to the Savior. 
So you notice in that account that Lehi beckons and invites and speaks with all the feeling of a tender parent. And sometimes he even calls out in a loud voice. And what we notice is that he doesn't leave the tree. He doesn't go grab people and put their hand on the rod or force them to him. He just invites. We love emphasizing that that is the place as parents and mothers to stand safely. And it's also a place where you can find peace and hope, even in the middle of heart. We've watched that over and over. We're so excited for today's message of hope presented by Dennis and Joyce Ash. The title of it is Holding on to Hope by Coping with Stress and Anxiety. Oh, what a real thing and what a real thing in our personal family over the past week. And I'm just really excited. And I know that you are too. We're all working with these real factors. Dennis is a board certified licensed clinical social worker, and he's a former international assistant commissioner for LDS Family Services. He's traveled throughout Russia, Mexico, Albania, Armenia, and Indonesia, providing humanitarian and mental health training. And Joyce is a registered nurse and also a certified chaplain and bereavement specialist. She recently retired as a director of spiritual care for Rocky Mountain Hospice. And one fun thing they've been doing for over 15 years is teaching at um, BYU's Education Week. They've been teaching mental health classes there. And so with their beautiful personal and professional experience, they just bring so much. We just wanted to let you know that they wrote their first book. They have a couple of books that are out that they've authored, and they wrote their first book after they experienced the loss of two children. And one of those children, Cameron, was 14 and struggling with cerebral palsy at the time of his death. And his life and subsequent unexpected death has had such a profound impact on the lives of and careers of Dennis and Joyce, along with so many other experiences that they so kindly shared several of them last week. And we really appreciate that. These are those two books, but if not is one of them and Jesus wept is another is a title of another and they provide support and understanding to individuals and families that are dealing with losses resulting from the numerous unexpected life challenges. So not just losses of loved ones, but I so appreciated that what Dennis mentioned, that word loss, that is a piece of an important piece of how we need to meet and, and work with grief. And so anyway, I love that they have these two books out. You can find these books on Amazon and Audible, and also you can find them at cedarfort.com. Here's a picture of the Ashton family. I love this real natural what picture of theirs and Dennis and Joyce are right there in the middle. They, the Ashtons love the outdoors and they are parents to six children and lots of grandchildren. So Dennis and Joyce, we just, we appreciate you being here and we, we know you have lots to share with us today. So we're wanting to, to quickly move over to um, you and what you've brought to share with us today. Everyone will go ahead and pass it over to you Ashtons, and then we'll gather again after you finish to ask some questions. Thanks for the kind words. Well, good morning. We're happy to be back with you this morning. And we just hate that we have to talk about all these hard things, but it's part of life, isn't it? So I'm going to cover some, some stress-related tools and a little bit of anxiety, and then Dennis will do some more on anxiety today. I had to do something like the first five days of the weekend are always the hardest. and. Of course, if you are a member of 
any church, you know that Sundays are also not a day off. So we keep pretty busy. So is stress good or bad? And we ask that question and it can be either. We need a little stress to keep our lives going and moving, but what is unhealthy stress and what is bad for us? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. I want you to think about some of your stress in your life that causes you worry and anxiety, and often our stress does lead to anxiety. So I want you to think about what yours is. If you can't, but I'm sure you can, here's a list of a few things that you might be going through. I'll just let you look at those as you think about your own stress. I won't read through all of them, but we all have something and yours may not be on the list. So you've got that in your mind. So what is unhealthy stress? Generally, it's when we over-engage. We get too involved possibly with something to the point that it emotionally damages us and causes us too much emotion. Our emotions are overactive. We have a fear or a sense that we don't have control of things. We have a loss of energy, emotional exhaustion, We may even get to the point of panic and an absence of joy. We aren't finding joy in our life. We aren't sleeping well. We have insomnia. And that's a big red flag, of course, for depression and anxiety. So hopefully you can see those things and kind of put your own stress into what it means and how much you are doing. And and we're going to talk about some things to hopefully help our stress. So how did you get this unhealthy stress? Have you been taking care of yourself physically, emotionally? Have you had too much energy towards something and you don't have a downtime to really recover from one event to the other? Are you taking too many responsibilities on? Do you know how to say no when you can't physically or emotionally do something? Or do you just push yourself through? If you're a working mom, are you bringing all your work home with you and not enjoying your time off and your home life? What about perfectionism? There's there's a boundary there where we may push ourselves to do things beyond our capacity because we want to look good. We want to do these projects great. Everything's lined up. We want to look good doing it. We want to sound good doing it. So we have to be very careful of those perfectionistic tendency. What about lack of our close relationships? Do we make sure we have, if not a close family member, some friends that we can talk to and share and enjoy their company? And then what is our perception of our situation? In other words, how we think drives how we feel. So instead of just feeling, oh, I feel terrible, blah, 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 we're going to think first a positive thought, and then our actions and our feelings will follow that positive thought. Our assumptive world is often challenged. In other words, I assumed that if I did everything right, that I wouldn't have all these hard challenges that came to my 
life. And that's just not true. This earth life reality means we will have challenges, but we have to examine our unrealistic expectations. Maybe we're setting the bar too high for ourselves. And then when something doesn't go the way we think it does, then have these shattered expectations. So we need to find some fulfillment in being a human being rather than a human doing. And we need to be still. The scripture in Psalms, be still and know that I am God. We all have unique and differing capacities. What, How fast you run might be a lot faster than I can run. And what might challenge me is easy for you. And it's not requisite, the scripture in Messiah that a man or a woman should run faster than he has strength. How do we adjust and adapt to the stress we have? Human beings are very resilient. And I'm surprised at what people can go through and still keep going and keep smiling. Most of our brains and our bodies are able to handle healthy stress. But we have to be able to evaluate when we get into that unhealthy stress because then it's going to turn to anxiety and and be too much for us to handle. The violin makes beautiful music when the strings are not wound too tight or too loose. So we need to find that balance. And I really like this quote, you can't get somewhere to which you have never been if you keep taking the same path. So how can we decide what needs to change, how we're going to change it, and get rid of that unhealthy stress. So here's a few tools. You have to find some things that will work for you. We're all as different as our little thumbprint and what may work for me may not work for you. So here's a few ideas. There'll be two two slides, I think, with ideas. So we need to find tools that are gonna redirect and rest our brain when we get super anxious. Possibly deep breathing is very helpful. Find something that helps you relax. Meditations are great. There's some free apps online. Insight Timer, Calm, or Headspace I've found can be helpful. Maybe music calms you down or helps you go to a different place. We know exercise is so important and regularly. Five times a week is recommended, at least 30 minutes with the activity. We've learned that nature is very healing, and I find this to be true. There's some research that says if you spend just 20 minutes a day outside or in nature, it lowers your cortisol levels and decreases the damage that your anxiety is doing to your body. We know sleep is important and most people need at least seven to nine hours per night. And that's hard. Sometimes we have so many things we're trying to do, but I encourage you to try and get the amount of sleep that you need. And then Dennis and I have loved this idea that we we read somewhere in a magazine where a woman decided she would just disrupt herself. Whatever was going on that was too much, she was going to change it all up. Maybe she was going to go out of town for an overnight break or call in sick to work. We always think we have to be physically sick, but what about when we're emotionally sick and we need a mental health 
day. And sometimes we just have to be brave to take care of our mental health. Letting go of the uncontrollable. We sometimes think that we have to control everything and everybody, and it usually doesn't work. The more uh, you will feel more personal control when you quit trying to control the things that you can't control. It's like trying to hold water in your hands and you can't, you just can't hold that water is just going to drip all over the place. So we need to let go and let God be involved in all of our choices and our anxiety. We will have greater psychological flexibility if you have more. And I'm not particularly a flexible person, or I didn't, I wasn't born that way, but I've learned to be that way, because the more flexible we are, it helps you control all that stress that comes and all the change that comes into our lives. Simplifying our lives is so important, and it can reduce some of this non-productive stress. Do we really need to go 10 places today? How can we get out of some of those obligations? Do all of our children have to do dance and soccer and football? And you list it, they're doing 10 things sometimes and we're running all over the place. Evaluate where you can cut back because by small and simple things, great things can come to pass as Alma tells us. So the stress balance, here's three scriptures. Second Nephi 2.25, men are that they may have joy. DNC 6433, be not weary in well doing. And then there's also the balance of DNC 104 and in Mosiah 4, don't run faster than you're able. I like the idea of go big. And a friend of ours explained this to us in such a good way. Every morning, if you can try and go big, and big, B I G, stands for begin in gratitude. Gratitude therapy is a great way to start your day, thinking about all the things that are good in your life and not focusing as much on those stressful things. And tolerance. We have to do a lot of tolerating, don't we, as a mother? And sometimes we just have to tolerate and let things go. 90% of what we worry about usually doesn't come to pass. And so we can ask ourselves, what is the worst thing that could happen? Will I die? Will my child die in this situation? So we aren't going to overwhelm ourselves worrying about so many things and not overwhelming ourselves with personal goals all at once. I love in Isaiah 57 and 9, it's, so it says twice, the Lord God will help me. And I think if we can tell ourselves that every day, God will help me. I can do this. Talking positive and relying on the Savior, standing by the tree, staying by the tree. So anxiety disorders have now replaced depression as the most prevalent mental health problem in the United States. And panic attacks are the most common symptom sending people into treatment. Research shows that physical factors such as hypoglycemia, hypothyroidism, amphetamine use, or even simple over caffeine can trigger these kinds of attacks. 
And this is by Dr. Morgan Francis. So I think that's important to know that the world is full of stress and anxiety and we need to take care of it as soon as we can so it doesn't balloon into something that is out of control. So here's a few tools to resolve anxiety. Admit I have a problem and ask for help. Seek medical care, medical help if self-help tools fail. Practice saying no to ourselves and others when we realize something is just going to be too much for us and not feel the guilt that Susie next door can do all these things and manage all these children and all the activities and all the church assignments. We have to be able to say, what can I do and stay in my balanced state without so much anxiety and stress? Take time to relax daily. That helps your blood pressure and your heart physically to relax each day and not feel guilty about having downtime. That's part of your physical and mental care. Engage in activities that increase your joy and bring you happiness. Recognize that your thoughts can increase or decrease your anxiety. So sometimes I'll tell people you can work on your stress and anxiety for a little while over here and, and maybe make a list of things that will be helpful but then think more positive thoughts. And that is what cognitive behavioral therapy is about, is changing these negative thoughts and things you tell yourself to more positive things so you can decrease your anxiety. There was, I read about this happiness exercise. It was how to find more happiness in your life. And they suggested that you take time to relive your happy moments. And I think that's part of meditation too. You can close your eyes and relax and think about the day you got married or the day that a beautiful child came into your life or just the happy moments that you've had. And then of course, if you need help, seek help and ask for support. In helping someone else, maybe in helping our children, let's not pressure people to just relax or calm down. That usually makes them more angry if we say that to them. If we have friends that have a lot of anxiety and depression, do we really want to avoid being their friend? They probably need us. So don't stay away or avoid the person. Don't pressure them to deny their feelings by saying, oh, it'll get better, or it's okay, it's okay. Let them talk to you about their problem. Don't assume you can always make them feel less anxious on your own. You may need to get them more professional help. Don't assume responsibility for their behaviors, especially those that are struggling with serious mental illnesses. And Dennis will address some of that for us. So in helping others, let's spend time listening to their experiences. Ask if you have correctly noticed a change in their behavior, whether good or bad, if they're doing better and being more positive, you can comment on that. But you can say, I've noticed that you seem more stressed lately. What's going on? Listen to their story. They may tell it repeatedly and you might say, oh, 
heard this over and over, but they need to tell their story without any judgment. Highlight their option of seeing a professional licensed therapist and let them know that maybe they do need a little more help than you can give them. Go with them to the visit if they will let you or want you there, and then carefully ask them how did their appointment go without pushing or prying. I really like this idea of our brain can be strengthened and exercised just like our muscles. When we go to the gym, we we work out and we try and get them stronger. When we when we're angry, sometimes we want to fight and argue. When we have anxiety and fear, Sometimes we want to run away for it, from it. And depression is more of a freeze state, but we can control our brain and exercise it often through positive thoughts and feelings and talking. And meditation is a way that we can do that. It's a very simple meditation. You just lay down or sit down and close your eyes and you shift away from these reflexes of the brain shift away from our anger, anxiety, and our depression. We're just going to relax and breathe and not think about all those things that are bothering us. And then we're going to think about those positive things that have happened in our life and think about the blessings that we do have. And sometimes we want to picture ourselves in a very pleasant place. Maybe you love the mountains or, or love the beach. And as you're in this state, you can use all your senses. You can hear the ocean crashing. You can smell the salt in the air. You can hear the birds singing. You can feel the wind on your face. So you're taking time to put yourself in this relaxed state. And after you only need to be there 10 minutes, don't you have 10 minutes a day where you could relax and do something like this that would be so helpful? And as you leave after your 10 or 15 minutes, you ask, what is the most important way for me to deal with what's going on in my life right now? It's just a simple question. You don't have to get an answer. It's just a simple question. So let's seek help when we need it. When anxiety turns to panic attacks, when depression turns to suicidal thoughts, hopefully we get there before that. When guilt turns to shame and someone feels I'm not worth anything, I'm no good, that is more of a shame thought than guilt. And when anger turns to rage and the anger is not being controlled or dealt with properly. They become, they become dangerous to themselves or to others. I'm going to close with one of my favorite thoughts from one of my favorite people, Elder Holland. Don't you quit. You keep walking. You keep trying. There is help and happiness ahead. Some blessings come soon. Some come late. Some don't come until heaven. But for those who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will come. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That was incredible. Just uh, so you all know that Joyce has had a lot of stress in her own life she's had to deal with, including some of the stress and anxiety I've caused her. So that alone ought to account towards a lot. I suppose a lot of husbands are 
guilty in that way, not recognizing the tender spirits of our, our wives and the mothers of our children. You know, it's been 20 years since the towers came down. And during that time, New York and since then has experienced an inordinate amount of anxiety. When I began my career, anxiety was not the main issue. When someone walked into the office and you're about to begin a session, you could almost guarantee that they were going to begin talking about depression in their life. Now, depression and anxiety are, are, are related very closely, but today the most common question and concern is raised about anxiety and, and even panic attacks. It's interesting that 20 years after the fact, 10% of those in New York that suffered from severe anxiety are still dealing with what we would call chronic anxiety. How many of you have dealt with a situation where your own stress uh, was on the verge of turning into anxiety? Maybe you've been late for something very important to you. Imagine if you would, even close your eyes if you need to, imagine being late for something extremely important. Maybe it's a son or daughter's uh, wedding. Maybe it's the first day of school. Maybe it's the realization that the, the child in preschool should have been picked up uh, 20 minutes ago and you're running late to worried about how they're going to be there staying alone. And can you kind of feel the pressure you feel with that? And now imagine that someone in front of you driving a car in front of you is very unattentive. And in fact, they're so unattentive as they seem to be looking at their phone, texting, looks like they might be eating some McDonald's French fries. And in the midst of all of that, you're missing uh, the very light that uh, would have got you there on time. And now you're waiting for that light to recycle again. Can you feel what that does to you? That anxiety that begins to increase. Well, imagine the whole thing now, but I'm going to flip it a little bit. The person in front of you was me, and this is a real life story. And uh, I had not only sat through the light going yellow without moving and then green, but it had recycled completely through all three colors and my car was still fixed. When I looked behind me, there was a man. We were living in Texas at the time. He was a Texan. He had his hat on. He had his rifle hanging in the back of his pickup. He was outside of his pickup. His hand was in the air, one in a fist. The other one was giving me a, a gesture that I think you probably know, can guess what it was. And he was screaming, screaming at me to move my vehicle. Now, in the midst of all that, what that man did not know was that that Cameron that was mentioned earlier, our son who lived for 14 years on this earth, a son who I watched basically die at birth and be revived. Uh, I watched him grow and do the best he could being a quadriplegic. I pushed him in his wheelchair. I carried him. As he got older, I showered with him. I helped him on the toilet. I, I helped him uh, eat his food. Sometimes we ate off the same fork. It was just easier to do it that way at times. We grew so close that we could look at each other. And even though his speech was very garbled, we understood each other very clearly on humorous things and also very serious things. He was my hero and I was his. He was the closest thing to God I've ever known on this earth. Now, what the man behind me didn't know about that son was that just an hour or so before this moment at the stoplight, a man at the funeral home had just told me that you need to come over to the funeral home this morning to decide which size of a coffin your son would best fit in. That son of 14 years was now gone out of my life, and I'm trying to focus on driving a car while thinking of those words pick out a coffin. Now, the struggles with mental illness and emotions and, and especially severe issues of anxiety and depression have been with us a long time. If you go through the, the scripture, especially the Old Testament, you see a lot of, of disowning there. In fact, the most illness, if you look at Deuteronomy, and in fact, you, you'll see that the scriptures say the illness was for disobedience. If you look in Exodus, you see God again setting plagues, not only 
to the field, but also upon our heart. And so even at that early stage, any type of mental disorder, you think of the, the wise men, supposedly wise men and priests who asked the Savior, why is this uh, man born blind? Is it his fault? His parents' fault? Who's at fault here? Why is this mental illness occurring? And of course, the Savior had the answer that it was not any of their faults. Mental illness, uh, even as I began my, my undergraduate work at Weber State University, I was amazed that one of my textbooks still talked about a schizophrenic mother. Never heard that phrase before, probably most of you. But basically, schizophrenia is a very, very serious mental disorder, full of hallucinations, delusions, auditory sensations, person completely out of control in many instances, oftentimes having to be hospitalized. At least 80, 90% of that issue is biological in nature. Yet that schizophrenic mother that was described in my early textbook talked about a mother who did 15 things wrong, 15 things made her a poor parent and brought about that problem, that condition with her son or daughter. What a terrible injustice we did. And we're still doing some of that blaming even today. We're still asking and trying to point fingers. Mental illness is in fact, as I have looked at it now for over 40 years, is the result of many things, including biology, disease, genes, and even injury. Here's a phrase that I put together I really like that, that drills down to the root of serious, and I'm talking now serious, mental illness. Biology and genetics load the gun and our life circumstances and choices pull the trigger. Now think about that for a moment. This is a big takeaway. Much of what is happening and we're seeing at these more severe levels uh, of addictions and depression and anxiety is has at its root a biological component. In fact, we know now that the biological component can come about not only with injury, illness, and addictions, but the newest realization is research is showing that biology and genetics are affected by betrayal. Have Marie sometime talk about some of the women that have come to her feeling betrayed, a husband, a son, someone else uh, in their life, in the impact. Most of you that are members of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, I know you may not all be, but in, 19, in 2013, a conference address was given that was monumental for me. In that, to this same Elder Holland that Joyce mentioned a while ago said this, we have all taken courage from those who, in the words of the prophet Joseph Smith, searched and contemplated the darkest abyss and persevered through it, not the least of whom were Abraham Lincoln, did you know that? Winston Churchill, did you know that? And George Albert Smith. Now I can tell you I'd researched topics of, of mental illness and mental health with the brethren for many, many years of my life. And there were very, very few statements, nothing as strong as this one, that actually confirmed that a prominent member of the church had mental illness, in fact, has severe anxiety and severe depression. Now, what you didn't hear in that conference was the back story of what impacted on George Albert Smith's life to cause that severe anxiety and depression. Here's a little bit of his history. In 1908, this man, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve at that time, became ill after visiting church members living in eastern United States. By 1909, his illness was so intense that he was released from the Quorum of the Twelve to rest and recuperate the following spring and summer for 12 months. Can you imagine today President Nelson released Elder Oaks, giving him a 12-month hiatus to, to rest and recuperate? It's unheard of. We've never seen such an event. After returning back to Salt Lake City, George Albert Smith, for a short time, his nervous condition returned. As a result, he moved to St. George to better his health. It was felt the warmth and the dryness of the climate would help. Where he lived in a tent for six months, 
without getting out or even getting out of his bed close. Six months, six months in a tent. That's where he has the dream of his grandfather that some of you have heard talked about many times in Sunday school. By 1911, this faithful member of the 12 returns back to Salt Lake City for the summer. He spends time in a clinic receiving treatment for his condition. That was the word used. He then had the opportunity to travel to various state capitol buildings across the U.S. with his father, who was already a member of, of the First Presidency. His father died, unfortunately, shortly after the trip, and he became ill again, as once again bedridden. You remember we talked about last time the impact of severe loss, our assumptive world being assaulted, and how that can drive us, and uh, that loss to anxiety and even depression. By 1912, the stalwart church leader traveled to California to rest by the ocean shore for an additional 16 months. So if you count, if you calibrate that, uh, we don't know exactly the month it began and exactly the month it ended. It never ended completely, obviously, but five years of this good man's life vanished during that time. Incidentally, after becoming the eighth, uh, as I recall, prophet of the church, he was known and is still known to this day for his compassion and love and understanding, especially for those suffering from emotional and mental illness, though it was not necessarily called that at the time. Now, let's talk about anxiety and let's talk about anxiety disorder, because I'm going to drill a little deeper. Now, it may not affect all of you, but I bet you there's someone in your life that has affected that you could maybe reach out to even today. So a significant difference between everyday anxiety and anxiety disorder. An anxiety disorder, for one thing, can include everything in your life. It's not just being anxious about that stoplight. Nearly everything going on can produce some anxiety. It typically lasts, lasts about six months to fall into the category of an anxiety disorder, and it has to disrupt uh, home, family life, work, and school. It's usually how it's defined, defined by a professional. Experience an overwhelming tension when there is no real danger. Taking extreme actions to avoid the source of anxiety, the anxiety disorder may disrupt a person's work, studies, social life, and family. Just one quick example. Asked to visit a, a man that was uh, responsible to, to produce uh, dental implants and was a very skilled craftsman, but he wasn't showing up. His implants were not coming in time to the doctors and the dentists that relied on him. We visited his lab, couldn't find him initially. As we went into the lab, I can't even explain how chaotic it was. Everything was in disarray. You could see many projects that had been started and not completed. You could see cigarettes that had burned down to the filter, never having been actually smoked. And looking into this a little more in depth, the danger this man felt, this professional skilled dentist felt as he went into the severe anxiety and panic attack was that he was being watched by aliens. Yes, aliens. And his extreme actions were to get in his car and drive as fast as he could to avoid contact with them. Sometimes he drove over 200 miles, even leaving the state he lived in at the time to avoid what he saw as extreme danger in his life. Very disruptive. So these are more common disorders that you're familiar with, associated with anxiety. We've all heard of separation anxiety disorder. We've heard of panic disorder, most of us. Substance abuse, medication-induced anxiety, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, specific phobia. Uh, selective mutism may be one you haven't heard about. It's a selective phobia. When my stepmother was moved from her beautiful house in North Ogden, she had bought it with my dad, who had passed away earlier. It had been the dream home for them. They'd been by the mountains. It had had all their wonderful 
wonderful possessions of their life surrounding them, pictures and knickknacks and other things that meant so much to them. And now suddenly because of her Alzheimer's difficulties, she had to be moved to a home, a, a, a home that would care for her and watch and, and help her when she fell and had other problems with her medication. So within about a 48 hour period of time, in a nutshell, she was moved from all those possessions, that beautiful home, all she had grown to love. And suddenly she found herself in a wonder, wonderful facility, but in a very small room. That impact was so enormous for her that she had what we call selective mutism. She lost the ability completely to speak. That's how powerful that's how powerful anxiety can be. Let me give you another social anxiety disorder that came from a social situation. This one involved a young priest preparing to go on his mission. In the midst of him blessing the sacrament in the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, young men do this. And in the midst of blessing the sacrament, he jumped to his feet, yelled out similar words to what the trucker was yelling to me at the stoplight, also held his hand in a terrible gesture, and then sat back down, completely embarrassed by what had just happened. Now, can you imagine Imagine the judgment that people may have had in that congregation, especially towards the mother. How did she raise a son who would do something like this? We thought he was a better young man than this. How could he possibly be considering preparing for a mission with that kind of behavior? Well, the truth of it was he was suffering from Tourette's, extreme anxiety reaction. I saw him a month later with a psychiatrist, given medication that was designed to reduce the intensity of the anxiety he was feeling. He was purposely brought to an anxious condition in the therapy session that was being videotaped. And even with the most intense anxiety he was feeling, he didn't jump in the air this time. He didn't yell anything out. Instead, you saw a small eye twitch. So the anxiety wouldn't go away completely, but it was reduced all the way down to that eye twitch. Hard to imagine that a medication could do something like that. Now, anxiety, especially social anxiety, can be very troublesome for members of the Church of Christ of Latter-day Saints who are attempting to serve full-time missions. This is a graph you've probably never seen before, something we put together years ago before my retirement. But in this graph, it, it shows the percentage of young men or women that return home from the mission field and the reasons why. Now, surprisingly, and by the way, that's about five missionaries a day. So this is pretty significant. So if you look at this closely, of everything on there, only 11% of those young men and women who had to come home early from their missions came home because of sin. Yet that's the very thing that most would think of, isn't it? It's the very thing Job's friends thought about. Job, what have you done? What sin have you committed to cause God to abandon you? If you look more closely, mental and physical illness account for 70% of all those who come home early from the mission field. Now, this is particularly critical because we're always looking for a population that's somewhat similar in their behavior, especially in their motivation, and in this case, their spirituality. You can't find more motivated young adults than those attempting to be missionaries. You can't find, in my experience, more young adults who are striving to be spiritual in their life. But in spite of that, 36% of them came home, the greatest number of all, because of a mental issue. Surprisingly, once they're home, of those that had a physical, quote, problem for returning home, half of those physical problems went away within a few months, almost instantaneously. Because when you took away the pressure of the mission, when you took away the trigger, then suddenly that physical problem actually was identified as actually an emotional problem as well. So the emotional problems in a nutshell are over half the reason young men and women come home in the mission field. So here's the implication. Here's an implication for you folks. Many of you who have sons, daughters, uh, maybe even husbands who are struggling with, uh, with addictions, even pornography addiction, other addictions, those struggling 
with addictions or those struggling with severe anxiety are drawn to addictive behavior to conceal their pain and shame, taking them away from other pursuits. Those struggling are drawn to addictive behaviors. You see, the truth of it is that addictive behavior for a time does eliminate that initial pain. Sadly, sadly, once that cycle is completed, the shame and the guilt come back into play. Other struggling seem irrational to those who they associate with at home, work, church, or school. Some struggle becoming avoidant, which can impact negatively on the relationships with others. I saw a wonderful young man, just so you know that this isn't just all connected with members of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. Here's a young Muslim boy. If you have the slides, you can see him standing next to me. He's handsome. He's about 16, 17 years of age. He has been a part of the tsunami in Indonesia. He has been searching for his cousin who was 12 and she was his responsibility. And he has searched for three months now, not able to find her or even her body. He has also not been fishing for the last three months, which is his livelihood. I pointed to his fishing boat and I said to him, why are you not fishing anymore? Here's what he described to me. The day of the tsunami, he was deep into the ocean, several miles out. At that area and that distance, his boat nearly simply rose high in the water and then dropped back down again. As that wave got closer, of course, as you all know, it turned into a wave, a destructive wave that went five miles inland, destroying everything in its path. Didn't happen for the fishermen. They were fine. But as they came in closer to Banda Achi, their home, they began to notice the shoreline looked different. The trees were different. Many of the trees were gone. The homes were missing. But what made things even worse, what increased the stress and anxiety even more was the water water was full of bodies, floating bodies. And to make matters even a step worse than that, the bodies were being eaten by fish. Now this young man had concluded because of that experience that Allah, his God, was angry with him personally and was causing the fish to eat individuals, including fishermen. And that's why no longer he was a fisherman. Now a sister to anxiety is excessive compulsive disorders. They, they tie right into anxiety and anxiety can can mushroom into an obsessive compulsive disorder. What are they? They are reoccurrent, persistent, unwanted thoughts, images, or urges. Attempts to ignore, suppress, neutralize thought with another thought or action is what the person does. They do it through repetitive behavior like washing. We've heard of that before. Checking, ordering, repenting. They do something. They have some kind of behavior designed to resolve the dreaded event. Now, for some who are struggling with this, we find there are some, and using against the missionary population, who are perpetual repenters because they continually look at events in their life. They try to suppress that event, but then they feel guilty about it and feel like the only way they can resolve it is by repenting. One young man that came home from the mission early said to me that after attending a beautiful fireside one night, everything went marvelous at the fireside, but on the way home from the fireside as we were crossing the parking lot, I inadvertently brushed against a female. And that was okay, but as I thought about that more through the night and through that whole evening, I began to think, well, maybe that wasn't an accident. Maybe I touched her intentionally. Maybe I touched her where I shouldn't have touched her. And so you can just see that anxiety just mushroom into something much worse than it was ever. And thus he considered himself unworthy to be even someone who could warrant answers to prayers, let alone service in the mission field. So extreme anxiety can turn into something that is new in our field, relatively new. It's anxiety is the root of many mental health conditions, including panic attacks and phobias, and often directly correlated with other conditions such as obsessions and compulsions, post-traumatic stress, depression, and religious scrupulosity. That one is a unique one. This is an example of someone struggling with religious scrupulosity. First of all, what she said, Lord, my God, who am I that you should forsake me? 
the child of your love, and now become as the most hated one, the one you have thrown away as unwanted, unloved. I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer. Where is my faith? I am told that God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Any idea who that is? This will surprise you, I think. That is Mother Teresa, one of the most spiritual, humblest, Christ-like human beings that have ever lived upon the face of this earth. Her scrupulosity typically conceptualizes a moral religious form of obsessive compulsive disorder, psychological disorder characterized by a pathological guilt about moral or religious issues, personally distressing objectivity, defunctioning, and often accompanied by significant impairment of social functioning. Could you imagine someone like that, who even as she was ready to depart this life, and that was some of her very last words before she died, she still didn't feel like she was completely worthy before her God. Now, this happens to, to individuals all around you. A young man was described by his state president as being the most worthy ever to go into the mission field. In fact, he said he's so prepared that his influence and his example is going to bring four other additional young men in our state into the mission field as well. Quite a significant compliment. However, this young man, twice after entering the MTC, came home because as he listened to all he was expected to do, if he listened to what was necessary to have the spirit in his life, he could just always think of something where he was falling short, some part of his life where he wasn't doing everything perfectly. And this was very distressing to him. The second time he returned home, he actually went to a, a stake different than the one that had sent him. This was the stake where his father resided. His parents had divorced in the meanwhile. Fortunately for him, as he interviewed with his stake president, his stake president, who also was, and this is unique, believe me, his stake president, who was also a medical psychiatrist, said, I can help you with this. He began then a process of visiting with him on a regular basis, but more importantly, gave him medications that, again, begin to minimize and shrink the scrupulosity feelings, the intense anxiety that he was feeling. He was so successfully cured of this situation that he went back to school, obtained his nursing degree, and then his nurse practitioner degree, became a nurse practitioner specializing in medication and became an incredible asset. He worked for me for a number of years in the missionary clinic. He saw missionaries coming out of the field who had scrupulosity, and after that first interview, when they went in so forlorn, that first interview sometimes was two, two and a half hours, not typical, but they came out with hope because they realized that a major part of what they were experiencing was genetic and biological, not just a result of them making poor decisions or not being worthy. So to wrap this up, I'm going to go to where I ended last time. You remember that Alma uh, being chased for his life because he had become converted after listening to Abinadi. For those of you who are not familiar with the Book of Mormon, he was a prophet, we believe. He, after conversion, assembled a group of people, was offering baptism to them. As they were contemplating, should they be baptized or not, he asked these three questions. Are you willing to keep the commandments? Are you remembered to remember him, meaning the Savior? Are you willing to take his name? me and the Savior? They, of course, answered yes. Then he answered, then he additionally asked three additional questions, all related to anxiety, depression, and a particularly loss. Are you willing to bear burdens of those around you? Are you willing to mourn with those that mourn? Just that what you various sisters are doing with this program. And are you willing to comfort those who are in need of comfort? Now, let me just give you one last story where I've seen that play out. These are individuals, if you've got the, the slide 
that are in Indonesia, their doctors, nurses, and others who are being trained by myself and others about doing post-traumatic and stress and loss counseling. Uh, they were then going to go out and work with individuals who had been affected by the tsunami in Indonesia, affecting nearly 30,000 individuals. Now, when we went after the training, that uh, was all, you know, theory, obviously, we wanted to go out actually to the field, somewhere we could actually see these trained professionals now sit with someone who had actually been through the tsunami, someone who was actually in the healing process. Could they could they conceptualize what we'd been teaching and help them? Could they bear the burden? Could they mourn with them? And could they now comfort that person? As we asked that question of one of the local chiefs, and we wondered, would he even let us come into his village? He looked across the way, and if you can see the picture, there's a, a van sitting across the way. And he looked at this van, he saw a, a blue placard on the front of it. The van had been donated to the hospital by LDS Charities. And he said to us, is that van picture, that little placard, is that the same placard that's on this box? He'd gone back into the mosque, he'd come out with a large box, the box was full of food supplies that had been sent to his village. And he reported, these boxes have been arriving. This is the burden. These boxes have been arriving in my village for over three months. And he said, are you the same people that sent these boxes? Are you Christ people? That's a pretty significant phrase from a Muslim chieftain. We didn't even wear white shirts. We didn't wear badges because we weren't there to preach religion. We were there to lift burdens. We were there to mourn, and we're there now to comfort. His response was the most powerful words of my life. He looked at the van, he looked at the box, and he said, you're Christ's people, you will always be welcome in my village, which then allowed those counselors to go out and begin counseling. Here's one lady that I'll end with. This lady had received, quote, help from those around her. Here's the kind of help she got prior to this day. One person said to her, when you prayed to Allah the morning that you were heading off to teach school, and leave your children in care. Did you not feel a spirit tell you not to go to school that day, that a tsunami was coming? When you got to school, another person said, when you were at school and the first sirens rang, did you not think to hurry home and protect your own children rather than to stay at school and try to organize those children and save their lives? Another person said something that hit even deeper. Why are you even attempting to be a school teacher? Why aren't you home managing your own home and your own children? These bits of advice did not help. They were not comforting. Instead, this day, this wonderful sister, if you can see it, sitting before her, this Muslim sister simply said, tell me your story. Let me hear what happened to you. Let me help as you learn how to hold on to hope. In my final words, as I paraphrase again, Viktor Frankl, who I love for his great insight into this issue. What was trying to be conveyed that day is this woman, this mother, this dedicated wife and mother who lost husband and children that day was this. We are not destroyed by suffering. We are destroyed when we lose hope and are left to suffer without meaning. Hopefully that meaning was beginning to rebuild in her life that day. I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you so much, Joyce. Thank you so much, Dennis. Oh, and thank you for being here. Everybody who's in attendance, this has been such an education, meaningful presentation for all of us. Also, I just wanted you to know how significant the Ashton's book, But If Not, has been in my life. I've listened to the audio version of it, and I'm just getting to chapter nine. It, it's just such a beautiful book and you can get it on Audible for the audio or the, I'm sure you can get it lots of places, but that's where I got that. And I would just recommend that you dive a little deeper into some of the details around what they're speaking of and 
it's just really, I recommend their book. I also wanted you to, to just know that we really want you to know from Mothers Who Know how welcome you are here with us. We want you to have the resources that are available here for you because we all need resources. This presentation has proven how helpful and healing resources can be that are caring and empowering with connection and training and support. But right now I'm going to turn it over to BJ. Yeah, so such a big thanks, Ashton. We so appreciate you um, coming again to be with us and And like I said, if you weren't here um, for last week's presentation, that's also something that'll be available to you. And, and as you register, you'll be able to have that. I was able to listen to that again. It was so nice to listen to again. So really appreciate it. We do have some questions. So the first question is how do you relearn or just let yourself trust God again? and not to be anxious about what else he will take from you after losing a close loved one. Any Mm. thoughts there? I remember feeling so vulnerable after losing a baby and a child to what's next. How will, how will I cope? I felt that way pretty intense for probably a year or two And then slowly, I was able to trust again and move forward and embrace the Savior and the scriptures and all that was there. But I understand that vulnerability. And there's times when I've had a seriously sick adult child, and I've thought, I I can't do this again. I just can't. But you know what? We can. We can do whatever, whatever horrible thing comes our way. We can do it. Human beings are resistant. Heavenly Father is there to comfort us. Sometimes we don't feel like praying again or reaching out. But if we really try, everything will come back to us and we will heal and find peace and happiness again. By the way, it's a pleasure being with you, all of you. And uh, I, I, all last week, I thought of some of the questions from last week. So first of all, we, we honor your questions. And, and obviously it's very difficult to hear a question and really do it justice in this setting. And if we were, if I was in a therapy session, I might've listened for an hour before I even said anything about what was my impression of what was going on. But but, but going to this particular question, one of the things that helps has helped me a great deal is, is something Catholic, that was said by a great church leader a number of years ago prior to his death when he said that God is never surprised by a arrival of someone in the spirit world. And having that knowledge doesn't mean that he sent them there. And so the first step in this is to realize I, I don't think in most instances God takes away people's lives. I, th- I think God himself recognizes the, the trials of this life, the limitations, the dangers, the drunk drivers, the, the, the terrible things that happen, the killer bees. I don't think he sends all those out individually, but he also doesn't stop them in many instances. And I think he also has tears in his eyes, but a combination of tears for us in our loss, but also tears of joy as they arrive on the other side. And so it's a long journey. As I said in my first presentation, I believe that on some of that more profound loss and and, and grief, we won't grieve less with time, but we'll learn to grieve less often. And we'll be able to reframe it in in a little more positive vein than it does initially. 
where it just hurts so deeply. I wanted to say one last thing. We, we aren't going to get over these things that come. We're going to get through them. Mm -hmm. And we have to trying to get through them. Sometimes it takes months and years and a lifetime to feel like, okay, I feel happiness and joy again. I can keep going as Elder Holland said. Thank you. The next question is just some thoughts on how you might manage anxiety when the reason for the trauma is abuse, divorce, moving, financial crisis, physical health, and a heavy workload all at once. I know you've yeah. mentioned some. Do you yeah, have we, do. Some? We, we actually have a word for that, that. We have a word for that that we've incorporated in, in our book that, that begin to play out in our own life. And it's, a call, it's called accumulative loss. And so what happens is, is that when you get many, many losses together, any one of them might be looked at as almost trite. In fact, sometimes someone will go into a therapist and they'll say, well, what, what's troubling you? And they'll maybe take the last loss that occurred and you just listed several of them there. And, and, the, and the therapist thinking, well, that, that's not that big a deal. Everybody has that kind of loss in their life. But when you get that cumulative series of losses like that, they actually compound each other. So you've got to do some of those things that Joyce talked about. You've got to pull away from that and give yourself a break and a breather. And you've also got to separate how much of this is in my control and how much of this is in the control of someone else. And, and, and it is really not my responsibility or something I can deal with or do anything about. And give yourself a break, you know, give yourself some breathing room there. But that's a very significant problem. And it's led to very serious outcomes for many. Thank you. Yeah, I, I bet it feels like, oh, in two minutes, how can we give some enough information there? But just know as well that we have some other resources with mothers who know just ways to kind of link, keep linking arms with people and, and other women. Joyce, can you last, last time when you sh shared last week, you mentioned that I think you said stress and anxiety were something that was big in your life at one point, And there were some things that helped you. Can you share just a little bit more about that? And some of those things you might've already mentioned, but if you might just highlight okay. that okay. experience and I'll try and do it really quick. So I had childhood separation anxiety and it was a big deal to me. I can still to this day, remember some of my feelings and fears and anxiety and so as I grew and came to adulthood, at first I was finding that anything that happened, that's what I turned to was anxiety. And I did realize I had to let go of things I could. Now, I know there's things you cannot let go of and you have to deal with those. For me, cutting back, letting go of things that I thought I had to do was very helpful for me. I did also go once and talk to a psychiatrist who said, you're trying to raise five children and one in a wheelchair and you have, you're trying to work and you're trying to do all these things. You've got to, you've got to cut back because physically you're not going to be able to continue. And you have to change some of your thinking about these things instead of looking as everything is so overwhelming and so difficult. You have to say, well, I can do this and I can do this. She did also put me on some medication because after Cameron died, I had an eye twitch for a couple of years. And I went to the eye doctor and, you know, the psychiatrist 
was the last resort. And he simply said, your eye is twitching because of your anxiety and your loss and all the things that are going on in your life. So he did put me on some medication for anxiety and it did help. I, I felt that letting go of some of these things, doing all these tools, I researched and did all these tools. And then the medication just seemed to really help. And so I was blessed to completely change how I looked at things and my anxiety and how I coped. You know, and if it's, any, if it's any help to those listening, we've talked a fair amount about medication today and counseling, and both of them can be equally effective. In fact, alone, they're about equally effective in terms of clients. But combined, combined as, as it was with Joyce, they're oftentimes more powerful than either one individually. And so sometimes there's a need for a time to get that additional help. 80% of the missionaries that have to come home early for an emotional problem had medication if they came to one of our clinics, at least for a short period of time. That's a pretty significant number. Now, most of them graduated from that in a relatively short period of time as well. That's helpful. Thank you. Joyce, you mentioned just in your beginning, just your presentation today, changing negative thoughts. Can you just tell us what that might sound like or look like if someone's trying to, if they feel overwhelmed with just bombarded by negative thoughts the minute they open their eyes or throughout the day, <laughs> what are some things you can do? Um, What's it sound like or look like? You have to redirect your brain and not focus so much on the negative. I used to tell clients in hospice, don't worry about things all night. Make sure you sleep. Say, I will worry for a half an hour from 9 a.m. to 9.30. And then I'm going to put it away on a shelf. And I'm going to look at things, think about things that are positive in my life. Sometimes you even have to say, stop. You're putting yourself in this deep, dark hole. And that really helped me. Some people will write out affirmations, even about themselves and paste them on their mirror. I can do this. I am a good person. I am strong. I do have mother power whatever those positive things that can give them strength would be beneficial. Joyce has just kind of described a therapy called mindfulness. And of course, the key of mindfulness is what she just said. You don't focus on so much on the future and what might be going wrong there. And you don't look backwards on things that were troubling in the past. You look at the present and say, what can I do right now? It would be meaningful again. Oh, love to hear more about that. That's helpful. Dennis, when you told us the story about when you were at that stoplight and just lots of the things you were thinking about and that it happened up to that point, but we didn't hear any more after that, you know, what, what happened there as far, not what happened, but what, there were some things that you were feeling the anxiety and the stress were something, were there some things that you did to that you can remember that were helpful in such a really stressful spot? Yeah, there, there were a few things. I'll just mention a couple of them real quickly. I think one of the difference between men and women is that men are a little more cognitive in their approach to solving these problems. Women are a little more emotional. Emotional is probably the better way to go. But the cognitive part of me, just to give you an example, I had been given Cameron medication the night that he died. He couldn't do it himself. He couldn't push the, the button for the medication, the pain medication. And one of the first things that flooded me was the guilt. First of all, I fell asleep for 12 minutes when it happened, could have done something different. 
And secondly, was I somehow overdosing my own son by giving that to medication when, when it wasn't really necessary? And, and even at the peril of what the consequences might have been for me legally, I insisted on talking personally with the doctor and telling him exactly what I had done. Now, the doctor did something very wise. He used cognitive therapy with a cognitive person. And what he did, he said, here's, this, here's, this, here's the, the record of what happened that night. We have every encounter of medication. Here's the record of the night before. And as you can see from the night before, he had much more medication that he did the night that you were working with him. And in fact, there's a fail safe on this machine that wouldn't have allowed you to overdose your son. Now, that may be not meaningful to some people, but for me, that took a huge, a huge weight off of my soul. I just had such, when you compound, I didn't say this, but when you combine guilt with loss, it's almost impossible to get that resolved with someone. And it, it's a deadly combination, I call it. It sometimes leads, it, 85% of the time, it leads to divorce, it leads to severe depression and sometimes even suicide. And so it helped unwind to have those kind of conversations mm -hmm. that people that could reassure me, you know, your, your, your thoughts are wise, but it didn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. And I also remember something that really helped Dennis. He, he started exercising more and he found that to really relieve a lot of what was going on, to force himself to exercise. Yeah, very quickly, the, the, I actually ended up in, in a step class when it first happened. And I was pushing so hard, I was pushing like a madman because I was just trying to somehow work my way through this. And for a moment in one of those early classes, the pain in my legs was so intense that the emotional pain went away for a moment. And I thought, you know what? I can, I can make my way out of this. I can work my way gradually out of the situation. I'm never gonna forget Cameron. I'm never gonna stop loving him. And I've trashed all the books and everything we've talked about for these two sessions in a second to have him back for a day, but it isn't gonna happen. So I've got to keep working forward the best I can. Thank you so much. Thank you for your questions. And if there are other questions we didn't get to, oh, we're, so we're sorry if we didn't get to those, but we just appreciate you taking time for those and Karen, I think we'll just go ahead and hand it to you here for a minute and then let the Ashton's send us off here. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I just feel so impressed to express my gratitude and I'm sure your gratitude if you've been here to the two presentations that the Ashton's have shared with us to both of you for being so kind and sharing so openly with us, your personal experiences and growth and just the evidence of, you know, it's, we can do very difficult things and we are more resilient than we would ever give ourselves credit for. I think that has been so obvious to me. And I have also just felt so grateful to know that we are going to have hard things. Like, I think we've talked a lot about very difficult things, you know, in people's lives, but just the small things in our lives daily. Like this morning, I found myself in tears, my husband asking me what was wrong and me telling him that it was just my expectations were not being met in a relationship for very normal reasons. But I was just sad, you know? 
about it. And I wanted it to be different, but I also knew it was normal what was happening. But just to be able to know that I needed to grieve right there. I needed to be honest that I was having a human experience and that and that it was normal for me to feel disappointed and to to feel sad and and maybe a little hurt or offended but also at the same time you know know that we'll keep moving forward but I just think daily we have things that can cause us to go to a place of needing to deal with feelings that have to do with with the arena of grief and it's just so important for us to to know these wonderful tools and to have our savior in our life and to have the answers of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives and i just wanted to to leave you with just a thought of how much you matter that everything you do matters and not the way you do it. That's not what matters, but that you do it. That matters so much. So we're going to turn the time back over to you, Dennis and Joyce, to just share your final message of hope with us. Thank you. Thank you. There is hope ahead. And I know that in spite of what we are going through or have gone through, that we can find peace and happiness again. I have a very blessed life and lots of happiness and joy in spite of those moments that are difficult and hard. And you may not think you'll get there and it may take a long time, but you will. You will, as Elder Holland said, those blessings will come you will find peace and happiness again. And the savior is there for you. Stay by the tree. Don't let go of him in your lives. And, but if not, you will find that place of peace and happiness as we go through this earth life. We're meant to feel both feelings and we can focus on the positive as much as we can, even though we're overwhelmed with sad things. So real quickly, back to Indonesia, those, those doctors and nurses we were training, we, we had a presentation, I had a presentation, I should say, that had five different components to us. One that's in the book, you got components like our physical health and our emotional health, our cognitive and so forth. But the middle circle, if you picture these four circles, the middle circle was actually spiritual. And when, when they translated it into the Indonesian language, the, the, the folks that did that said, I'm not sure you should talk about the spiritual part of it. You're in this environment with Muslim people. There's not another Christian. It's not a branch. There's no Christians in this whole town. That probably is not going to be the way to go. And so why don't you have a backup? I had a backup, which was more discussion of depression, which was always easy to do. But when I got up before that group, one of the men raised his hands, one of the doctors and said, you know, you've got these five circles on there. Did all of those help you when you lost your son? And I said, yes, they did. All of them had an impact. Which had the most impact? And I said, well, to be honest with you, it was the center one. It was the spiritual one. And he said, well, when are you going to talk about that one? And right then I reached to my computer. And I switched out of depression and I gave the presentation. And all I can say to you is, though the words are different, we talk about a mosque instead of a temple. We they have different terminology. But at the end of that presentation, oh. 
they all bowed their head three times, thanking me for what had been shared with them. So the core of what we're talking about here, really the last mile of these journeys is spiritual. In regards to what faith you are a part of ascribing yourself to, God is the final answer. Thank you so much. Thank you, BJ. Thank you, Luann. And thank you so much for your time today, being with us for this message of hope, everyone. Thanks again, Ashton. We just have a little reminder as we um, are moving into the last of the three, the three parts here in the Stay by the Tree webinar series. The next one is next Tuesday and is our, one of our clinicians, Ben Smith. And we were able to visit with him for a little bit yesterday. And he has such just a beautiful passion for helping youth and has such a great confidence in them. And so you can just be looking forward to that. He's going to talk about the war against our sexualized culture and then little changes that make the biggest difference. He's really just honed on to some things that he is so excited to share with us. And so looking forward to that and visiting with Ben and we'll tell you a little bit more about him as we, we meet next week. Just a reminder for that, that mom power training that will be coming up. It's just a free training. And so many neat principles and tools are taught in that training that can help us to like, like Dennis mentioned, just staying centered and staying on spiritual things as a big piece of that. And we love that that's a part of that training and that we're able to interact and ask questions and share insights and learn a little bit more from Karen as she teaches that to those live classes, that training is a self-paced training. So just wanted to remind you that, that that's there. You can go to mompowertraining.org to find out more about that. And you can also go to motherswhoknow.org to find out about any of our groups and trainings. So again, just a, a great thanks to all of you women who took time to be here today. We know that that's a, your time is important and we appreciate you being here. And thanks to the Ashtons for all of your preparation and what you've shared today. Take care, everyone. Okay, so good. Thank you again, everybody. Appreciate you, Ashtons. We love you. We are just so grateful. See you next week, everyone. <laughs>